Thank you, Jacob and team. Right, now the Word of God. You're going to quiet our hearts for a moment before the Lord. We're going to ask Him to grant us grace to hear and understand. Father, thank you for the spirit of understanding that rested on the Christ and is now ours by gift and grace. Lord, tonight we receive it from your hand. May the Holy Spirit be the spirit of truth in the hearing of all the people. And uh, Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to see, open our minds to understand Scripture, and now that grace of understanding fill every heart, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 4, 19 and 20. If, uh, we can put that, Connor, put that Scripture up. Take a look at that verse, everybody. If anything, this uh, Scripture could be the theme of our summit Paul says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. We announced the theme of the summit as kingdom culture and apostolic life. And... Um, what I really imply by that is the two are the same thing. These are not two different things. And we've often spoken of, you know, apostolic grace or the apostolic life of a church and so on, apostolic values, you know. But if we talk kingdom culture, we mean, well, we should mean precisely the same. But what got me thinking about it, and it's you know, been off and on over some years, is that uh, someone used to write a lot of articles about the apostolic. And one of the things I saw repeatedly, I mean, I hadn't read most of what they wrote, but I was being sent some of these, and I noticed a repeated reference to the idea that the apostolic movement would restore kingdom culture. And uh, this person was having a lot to say about how kingdom culture would be restored and how important kingdom culture was and that this was the ultimate goal of the apostolic movement. And it seemed to me that despite this being said over and over and over, he never once said what apostolic culture was. And um, I, I've now looked a little bit further and yes, I'm happy in fact with <laughs> what he did have to say in another place about that. However, at the time, it just seemed to me that this was a whole lot of high-minded talk without any real substance behind it. And uh, so I'm not saying he was guilty of that because I think you had to know a lot of what he had written to understand kind of his buzzwords and the meaning of his terminology. But still, I do find here and there, wherever we go, people who talk big, you know, they sound like they're talking high-minded stuff but it's vacuous because it, it can be a lot of flowery words, but there's no real meaning. I've heard sentences, I've, I've read sentences that it, it, it's, it's all highfalutin and with all kinds of fancy words, and yet it doesn't mean a thing. It's hot air. And so um, I thought, well, um, I just looked a bit further and I came across something rather good in what he, he wrote. If you went back far enough, you could find he, he was approaching a bit of a definition. And I like what he said here. So I'm going to read you this little bit because it's our springboard tonight, especially considering this scripture here. Because if, no matter what somebody actually means, if they're saying kingdom culture, kingdom culture, the apostolic will restore kingdom culture, you've got to say, well, what is that? But here's a verse that says the kingdom of God is what? Does not consist in talk, but in power. Well, what are we going to do with that? Because if we're going to go any further, you've got to get a handle on some power, or at least understand what is the power at work in you, and, and should more power be at work? Should there be more uh, you know, manifestations of that power, more expressions of it? Anyway, here's what he... Here's what he had to say in another place that I was glad I found. Um, he said, we begin with an understanding that all things are 
spirit first. Now, he's got, this is a technical buzzword for him. He's got one word called spirit first with a capital S on spirit and a capital F on first in the middle of his one word, right? Spirit first. So this was, there's a lot of jargon in what he writes and you've got to dig deeper to find out his meaning. But this one's pretty obvious. We begin with an understanding that all things are spirit first in the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're going to get to the heart of it, you've got to begin with the divine input. He says, no matter what, we begin with spiritual power and authority. Ah, okay, we're on the same base then. We start with the basics of individual spiritual birth, discipling, calling, gifting, and spirit-first living and lifestyle within a kingdom culture. He says a little more, we begin with behavior and culture within a spiritual kingdom and to, to discuss the influence of that culture on existing cultures. And then this ends, we begin with the, this is a good one, we begin with the integrity of individual believers within a kingdom culture, living a lifestyle in response to the Great Commission mandate, quote, train them to obey all I have commanded you, said Jesus. All right, so we're on the same page. Kingdom culture. So ask yourself the question, it's a simple question, simple answer, and then we can move on. What is culture anyway? You, you know, it's all very well to say, well, you've got to have the right culture, or the, you know, what's the culture of the church? Is it kingdom culture? Is it apostolic culture? Well, what is culture? Well, here's some simple answers. Well, first of all, before we get to the simple answer, here's a complicated one by James Spradley, an anthropologist. He said, culture is the acquired knowledge people use to interpret experience and generate behavior. Well, you say that quick, you haven't got a clue what it means, right? <laughs> it actually means something, but you've got to stop and really think about it. Now, here's, here's something simpler. Culture can be defined as all the ways of life, including arts, beliefs, and institutions of a population that are passed down from generation to generation. Culture has been called the way of life for an entire society. As such, it includes codes of manners, dress, language, religion, rituals, art, norms of behavior, such as law and morality and systems of belief. Now that might sound like a mouthful too, but we can make it even simpler. There are five things that define culture in the main. They are these, values and beliefs. That's one thing. Norms, symbols, language, and rituals. Now, it doesn't take much thought to realize, for you to realize that if you're going to talk, okay, what is the culture of the kingdom meant to be? It's, um, it's pretty much all the things we teach in the gospel and Christian living that comes from the New Testament. In other words, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Do good for them who despitefully use you. Forgiveness, of course, uh, comes up really big. Forgiving one another, as I have forgiven you. Loving one another above yourselves. In other words, all the instructions of Jesus, and I've often said, if you go to the Gospels and find those instructions of Jesus about turning the other cheek and forgiving other people and loving your enemies, they are the foundation or the foundational rudiments for success in spiritual warfare but they also happen to be the very elements of the culture that is kingdom culture. In other words, the way we live, what we believe, what we teach, our rituals, you know, baptism, Holy Communion, worship, the meeting together. The, this, this is kingdom culture. And I, I get a bit tired of people who are forever condemning the church for what it's not, when we ought to see the richness of what it is. Now, what I've noticed as I, you know, mix with other people and, and look at other books and things is I think that a lot of this um, critical comment you get, like there's a, you'll, you'll hear people disparage what they think is church compared to what they think is the ecclesia. But actually it's the same thing biblically. You'll hear people disparage the church compared to what they think is the kingdom. I actually heard a preacher one day, 20 years ago, say, well, I've had it with the church, I'm just going to preach the kingdom. But this is actually nonsense talk. And I get the feeling that people who talk like this don't really understand the church. 
But a lot of it, I think, has originated in the fact that in American society, uh, there is a lot of churchianity that is not seen by spirit-filled believers as real Christianity. And, and because there's a lot more of that there than in other nations, a lot of this thinking comes from Americans. You know, there's, um, in other words, there's the more of this uh, dichotomy of thought where they're, they're thinking, no, we don't want church, we want the ecclesia. And not realizing they're, they're throwing out the baby as, as well as the bathwater. But it's because they're, they're, there's, there's some kind of a cultural hang-up in America over uh, all these outward forms of churchianity that they don't think is real Christianity. And perhaps some of it's not. But then they apply these blanket judgments to the whole church in the whole world, and it just doesn't apply. And, and I know from experience, you can go to churches here that on the outside you think are asleep. You know, they're, they're not Pentecostal, they're not evangelical. Sunday mornings look a bit sleepy there, very traditional. And it's true they might not have a lot of things that you and I think are important, but when you get to know those people, what you find is the Word of God's at work in them. They actually care, and they love each other, and they believe, and they re- receive at the table of the Lord, and they're, they're, they're so delighted to receive the pastor's blessing, and they... They give each other the sign of peace and they, they believe doctrine and they care about what happens in the community and they put a lot of effort maybe into you know, Christian education or nursing and you, you can't tell me this is not the word of God at work and that people ought not to be respected and loved and we ought to reach out to them and, and hold them dear as precious to us that, that Christ is very much at work. Now, no doubt those people could find a great deal more. But I've known Pentecostals who in their services and prayer meetings made a lot of noise, who I thought needed a lot more. (laughs) I was in one AOG church in Victoria years back now, and I was there as the special preacher for the day, and so I slipped into the prayer meeting before their service started, and there were 10 or a dozen people all standing around the wall, and when it was time for the prayer meeting to start, they stepped right into what was their ritual. Their ritual was a whole lot of noisy talk, you know, tongues in English, and, and you know, for them this was prayer, but the Spirit of God wasn't in it. And the, the reason the Spirit of God wasn't in it is they're just doing it all by rote. This was the thing they did every Sunday. In other words, They weren't exercising any real faith or passion or love in what they were doing. They were just there believing, you know, this is what makes us great. And when they were all done, I decided to pray just a nice, quiet little prayer, and the Spirit of God started moving. Yes, so, you know, whenever we take God for granted, whenever we think we are a bit better than others, we actually lose more than we gain. And so there does need to be a a great deal of pause for thought before we are too busy to criticize the church in the world, so to speak, or, you know. And and part of the problem is we don't even know a single soul in those (laughs) churches and denominations most of the time, right? We don't know what what they think, what their struggles are, what they're working at. No, and I'm not saying anyone here does, but this this is the trouble with this kind of language is what I'm saying. Can't afford to go there. Instead, here's here's what I'm trying to get at tonight. Instead of thinking that others lack power or lack grace or need more of the kingdom in them or need a bit more kingdom culture or apostolic life, Why could we not simply ourselves go back to the place of prayer and say, we need a whole lot more ourselves? We have not got anywhere near what we need, let alone what's available. And I'm just thinking that through the summit, 
We've got to put some emphasis on finding the Holy Spirit afresh, finding the power of God afresh, finding anointing, finding life all over. No matter how much... I know for me it's been a lot of years. It was uh, 1974. I, mean, I was converted in 1967 and was genuinely profoundly converted and walked with God and, and prayed, you know, and, and, and sought the Lord and all of that. And... Um, and yet I came to the place where I discovered there was a baptism of the Spirit, and so in 1974, really began to seek the Lord. Now, it's funny, because when you, when you and because we weren't Pentecostal, we were Salvation Army, you know, we, we didn't any of that. Well, if you go back far enough in the Salvation Army, they were more Pentecostal than the Pentecostals are, actually. Can you read the history? I might read you a little bit tonight. I've got one of the old books right here. Um... But by the time I came along, a lot of that was long forgotten. But here I was hungry for something. I didn't know how to receive it. And you're praying and it feels like you're getting nowhere, but you keep praying, keep praying. And I kept pouring myself into prayer basically five days, but it, it, you know, by the very nature of life, it's off and on. But still, for five days, I'm looking to the Lord. And the nights we spent especially pouring into prayer till 1 a.m. and to midnight, believing there's a baptism of the Spirit somewhere. You know, other people receive it. I must have this. And the astounding thing is that it just comes suddenly. There's a certain point at which it comes suddenly. And, and, and so I was hit with it would be the wrong term. You know, I wasn't actually hit with anything, but just suddenly just flooded with something. And, and all this bursts out of you as well as breaking into you. It was just astounding transformation and real power. And, uh, you know, you go on to discover what this is for, but it, it, it's like it comes out of nowhere. You don't think it's coming, but you want it to come. The point is, you've got to give yourself to the prayer. You've got to do the seeking. The promises are in the Scripture. interesting thing is, there's not that much instruction in Scripture about how to go about seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not, there's no kind of technical manual on it. And yet there is some basic information there, like ask and seek and knock, for example. And uh, it seemed easy enough, the examples that are described all seemed easily enough, like were sovereign acts of God. So you think, well, he's willing to do it. And so the idea was, get, get into prayer, keep crying out to God until you obtain. And I, I want to urge you all to begin. We're going to start praying tonight, actually. But I've got a little, little bit more to say yet. Last Sunday was Pentecost, and um, I shared with the church here, like it was Whit Sunday, I shared with the church some things from Whit Sunday five years before. So 2018. Uh, our Whit Sunday service in 2018 was two days after the funeral of a pastor here in town called Pastor Brian Henaway. And uh, his parents were from Vanuatu. He was born here. He's married to a lady from Thursday Island. And these are great friends. They've been friends for a long, long time. For seven years, I spent every Tuesday afternoon, almost the entire afternoon, every Tuesday afternoon with Brian and with one other pastor. And we just talked, became very close. And Brian passed away, but uh, I remember one of the stories he'd told me. It was relevant because it was Pentecost. He said that when he was a young man, and they were living up, up north like Tully or somewhere, Innsvale or Tully, he said he and his mates, they must have been down on the riverbank praying or something. And these would have been all indigenous fellas. And he said the Holy Spirit fell on them, uh, on the riverbank, and, and clobbered them. And they were so drunk someone had to come along with a flatbed truck and load them all onto the flatbed truck. And they spoke in tongues all that day and all that night and all the next day and were totally drunk in the Holy Spirit the whole time. Now, these are things that God does. And he's not only been doing them on this side of Azusa Street. He was doing them before. He was doing them in the Salvation Army. He was doing them in Wesley's meetings. So the whole idea of tarrying meetings, the whole idea of the baptism of the Spirit, 
that was common language in the holiness movement and in the great spiritual awakenings long before there was a... The, the Pentecostal movement got its start, it got its outbreak based on knowledge and ideas that were already there and been taught for a long time, but somebody kind of took it to a, a point where they focused it and, and uh, lo and behold, an outbreak. But I, I have come to believe you can get an outbreak if you want one. Now, whether it takes you a month or six months or a year or two years to achieve it, you can get a, an outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And I'm encouraging you tonight to believe that you can have one in your home. Or pastors, you can have one in your church. When I was, um, the same year as baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1974, it was first year in Silverstone Training College, and I, we were cadets, and, and the, the two-year program meant that in the later part of the first year, all the cadets would be sent out somewhere. You'd be appointed to a church for three months, and it was called field training, so you'd go out and you'd be under a local pastor in his church. We had different vocabulary for all these things, but that's what it was. And, uh, and of course, there was a big, uh, a big ceremony in the Sydney Town Hall. We all dressed up in uniforms and flags, and you'd be called up one by one, and they would tell you where you were going, <laughs> and you your orders. And the next day, you'd be packing it off. You know, you'd be there within a week. And... Uh, and so it, was a, it wasn't a lucky dip. Someone at the headquarters presumably thought about who was who and where they should go, but it looked like a lucky dip. Anyway, <laughs> anyway Hazen and I got sent to Ipswich. But long before, I, knowing that was coming up, I started praying. And every morning in that college, I would seek the Lord earnestly that wherever he sent us, there would be a revival. So here's me, newly minted Pentecostal, so to speak, you know. So I'm, now I'm enthusiastic. And that meant that every day I'm looking for answers to prayer. Every day I was wanting to see God work. So I begin this praying that wherever we got sent, there would be a revival. And I, and because I'd learned, you know, when you pray, believe that you receive, I start confessing, Lord, I thank you in that place, there will be a revival. So we get sent to Ipswich. And... Um, the, the church we were sent to was a hard place. It had been hard a long time, just one of these hardened, you know, traditional. You got sent there as a pastor, you probably couldn't change a thing, you know. <laughs> Might be good now. I'm talking about that, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so, but, I'm, but I'm praying, and somehow I get, get to be part of one of the uh, house churches there. So I, I get these, the, the ladies and gentlemen, you know, there are about 10 of them. I get them thinking like me. I get them thinking, we must see revival. We must pray for revival. So every Wednesday night, we got them all praying for it. See? <laughs> and uh, week after week, they're dry and hard and cold, but no, we're believing there will be. And we're only there three months, right? There's a, there's a window here. The time's running out. We're, we're now, by this time, eight weeks in, nine weeks in, you know. And then on the, on the program, there was to be a visiting evangelist. He was a Salvation Army evangelist, a colonel. These old colonels, man, they could preach. You know, they could, they could raise the hair on the back of your neck, you know. <laughs> and he was one of those. And um, so he was scheduled to come for the weekend, and he was going to do meetings, let's see, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, five meetings. But on the Thursday, of course, the officers of all the district were gathered. These were officers' meetings, like pastors' councils. And he was giving these lectures... And he said, now here's me praying for revival, praying for the moving of the Spirit and thinking, oh, this weekend, you know, maybe we could focus our faith. But in this officer's councils, he said, you know, you, you, you don't get your wisdom from this source and, you, you know, you don't get your beliefs from that source. And he said, and you certainly don't get, you know, your ideas from that, you know, rabid, foolish Pentecostal pastor down the street. He said this straight out. And the moment he said it, oh, the Spirit of God was grieved. So grieved. And it's like everything went dead. You talk about grieve the Spirit away. Anyways, that night comes. And, you know, good singing in the meeting, good preaching. He knew how to preach. It was always a good gospel word. 
they run the appeal. Sorry, I'm very good at running appeals, you know, Billy Graham style, you know, people come, the, the music, the appeal, the way it's handled. But I tell you what, that meeting was so dead. No sign of life, no movement. My sense was the Holy Spirit had not come down any closer than the roof of the building. The Spirit of God was there, but down here just hard. Not a soul saved. No, nobody yielded. Friday night, same story. Saturday night, same story. And of course, by this time, he and his wife, they're getting worried because they've never seen this before either. You know, like they've always had results. And, um, and she's getting around trying to talk people into coming forward, make decisions. That was not the Salvation Army custom called fishing. You go fishing. And, you know, we might reinstitute that, you know. <laughs> and uh, they couldn't fish anybody out either. <laughs> uh, but I knew what it was. I'd been baptized in the Spirit. You know, I had, I had a heart to understand. So I'd been given grace. I knew what was going on. So this night, you know, I'm on my knees, Saturday night, and pleading with the Lord, you know, asking the Lord to forgive that man and, and to not, not keep the blessing from this church, you know, not to keep answers from our prayers and the faithful saints I had praying because of the sin of one man. Lord, Lord, would you forgive? So in other words, I had to do business with God. Like, this is not easy stuff. This is sacrificial stuff. You're up late at night. In other words, you make the effort. So I'm up late at night crying out to God, you spare his people. Next morning, I'm back into it, up early again, back into prayer, Lord, you know, forgive. Well, the Lord must have heard my prayers because we get to the Sunday morning meeting and it's still hard as could be about a third of the way into the meeting. Now, it might have been more. It might have been when he stood up to do the message. But up to this point, it was hard. But at some point, he stands up and he says, I, I've searched my heart. And he, and he said, I've asked the Lord that if I've committed any sin against him, he would forgive me. And in that moment, it just broke. Totally different world. Spirit of God came in. He preached. You couldn't believe the, the, the wonders of that day. The, that meeting ran on hours. The multitudes that came, the, the pools, the puddles from tears across the front, you know, the weeping, hard, hard Christians broken down, weeping before God, people being saved and turned from lives of sin. Sunday night meeting comes, he preaches again, same thing, Holy Spirit just falls on that place. You talk about a day of wonders. And all I did through the meeting, I sat up on the platform and uh, over there, I didn't pray for anybody who came forward, there were plenty of other people doing that. My job was to believe God. So I just sat over there the whole time and all I did the whole, for two, three hours while this appeal was going on Sunday night was just praying tongues. And I'd consider people and I'd just pray in tongues over them, just, you know, under my breath. And there's one fellow right up the back and I just felt to really pray for him and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for him, for him in tongues. He was the only one that never moved. When the meeting was over, the moment it was over, he came, sought me out and he said, I, I should have gone out tonight, he said, but I've got a problem that couldn't be solved here. And he told me what it was and yeah, he was right, it was pretty serious. Huge, huge moral issues. But I, I took him to where he got help. His whole life turned around. He, you know, he married, he got children. You know, it's work of the Spirit of God. But see, all that came from a determination in one person's heart. We are, we are going to have a revival in that place, in that time frame. And then refusing to take no for an answer and pressing and pressing and pressing. And really, we haven't done enough of it. And I understand it, because I've been on the road longer than most of you. <laughs> you know? And what happens is you get busy. 
See, the, the big advantage I had in those days was I had, I had no burdens of office, so to speak, right? I wasn't in charge of anything. And uh, I was just an assistant helping out, you know? So I was free to push the boundaries in faith and prayer and take the time to do it without the burden of having to solve a whole lot of other problems and attend administration. But what happens is we get busy. And uh, so we then get into a routine. And, you know, prayer is part of the routine and Bible study and, you know, council and church services. And, and, the, and routine is very important too because for this reason, you cannot discount the importance of consolidation, of the consistent work of, of teaching and prayer and stability and relationships, hugely, hugely important. In fact, I, I learned in college from one of the officers, um, James Martin, we used to call him James the Just. He was such a delightful fellow. And, uh, but I remember him talking about, I think he got it from Sangster. W.E. Sangster was a famous Methodist preacher. And he used to talk about the fact that that spiritual life is both crisis and process. Or it might have come out of the old Salvation Army Doctrine book, I can't remember now. But there's a lot of truth in this, that, that spiritual life requires both crisis and process. And what that means is crisis means the breakthrough moments. You've got to get answers. You've got to get a miracle. You've got to, you've got to get the baptism of the Spirit. You've got to get revival. You know, you've got to get hearts changed, broken down under the impulse of the Spirit. And you've got to have these periods where you teach and build and build people together and they learn to walk and, you know, you disciple people. The whole, the whole process. And it's like this in nature. Well, therefore, we value all of this. Our, our problem is that we often think that it's all process and I think we don't stop and really pour ourselves into getting the, the breakthrough moments where you, you really do need the power of the Spirit moving. And all of this was just by way of introduction to tonight's message, which we won't get to, really. Um, I, I went to the revival in the Solomons in 1990. That revival had been running 20 years. And it had been running white hot for 20 years. It's unusual for revivals to stay that sound, that consistent, that fiery for so long and continued, you know, a long time after that. But I, wherever I went in 1990, the Spirit of God fell on those meetings. And uh, they were just wonderful days. And that was 20 years after the, the revival fell. But that revival that fell in 1970 didn't fall on Pentecostals. It fell on the a big gathering. 5,000 people had gathered, but they were, the, they were the result of the work of brethren and Baptist missionaries. And it was a Maori evangelist. And, and I don't know they were expecting it. They'd had a crusade. There's a Maori evangelist had gone all over the, the island, had done crusade meetings in many places. And They'd come down to the last meeting of the last crusade and he'd preached the last message and pronounced the last benediction and was just about to send, dismiss the people when, he, when they say he saw signs of the spirit moving and he just said, wait. And it's like a bomb went off. It was so much like a bomb that it actually blew all the leaves. It was a, you know, a banana leaf roof that erected over these 5,000 people. All the leaves got blown off. And... Um, the Spirit of God fell on them all, and there's all kinds of stories came out of it. Well, 20 years later, I visit, and it's still astounding what was going on in those villages. They found a way of maintaining the passion, maintaining the fire. In fact, the pastor told me, one of the pastors I was speaking to told me that whenever, because we had visits from Solomon Island teams here in our church back in the 1990s, they would come and they'd spend a week or two whole weeks in prayer and we would join them. And uh, one of those guys told me that whenever the, the fire waned, you know, but whenever they, they felt like it was a dying off of the power of the revival, 
they would just throw themselves back into prayer and intercession and repentance and confession and you know seek the Lord and and keep that thing alive. Well, when I first got there, we we went to an island called um, Nongasila, which is um, on the off the coast of Auki. And um, Auki, what am I saying? Malaita. We on the ship we went to Auki and crossed Malaita to this place and got dropped off at about 5 a.m. It was just first light. We're in the back of a truck. It just got dropped off. And there's not a soul, no sign of a building or anything. You think, well, I wonder if we're in the, hope we're in the right place. I mean, there's no telephones, you know, there's no helpline. And, uh, but presently you heard this putt, 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 you know, this dugout comes in and, and sure enough, we're in the right spot. They picked us up, took us to this island. And the pastor said, his name was Apollos, and he said uh, that they had a prayer meeting every morning at 4 a.m. and they'd been having it for 20 years. And everybody in the village came, the grandmothers and the babes in arms, and he rang the bell. Well, turned out the bed they gave me was just inside a thin fibro sheet from where the bell was. And the bell was this huge uh, gas cylinder, empty gas cylinder, and he had this whopping steel beam that he belted it with. And he hit the thing 33 times. But it wasn't 4 a.m., it was quarter past three. He had no watch. It was, it was guesswork every night. But I was excited, you know, I was a prayed up pastor, you know. We'd come from, we had the moving of the Spirit here. We had miracles here every week. I'm prayed up. I'm so keen to get into this prayer meeting. I get in, crushed coral floor, and just, you know, beat up old chairs. And the only music is an old beat up wooden table. That was the sole musical instrument. And the pastor, he did beat the table. And, but the moment he began, and they began to sing, heaven came down on that place. And, um, and the moment the Spirit of God came on the meeting, I got clobbered. Um, I fell to the floor, not under the power, I just under conviction. You talk about conviction of sin, you know? And I, I dropped to the floor on my knees, you know, face in the coral and, and repenting. Like, now you can't do that without the Spirit of God. This is the Spirit of God. Repenting, deep repentance. Ten minutes or so, you know. I, I didn't realize I was in that bad of shape, you know. But I thought I was all prayed up. And <laughs> not at all. And <laughs> so anyway, this, this cleansing work must have got done because presently I'm filled with the Spirit and joy. Now I'm on my feet and I'm just singing. I'm singing whatever they're singing, but in some other language. They're singing in their village language. I'm singing in some other language. Anyway, these were glorious days, you know. The, there's an interesting story that comes from the life of that fellow, the pastor. He was a young man when that revival fell and he ended up the pastor in the village. He said they went back to the village and they spent the whole night praying, cast every demon out of every person in the village and out of the buildings and you know, dealing with all kinds of stuff all night long. But he said, some years later, he was the pastor and uh, he was sick and couldn't go to the gardens. Everybody else in the village went. They had the gardens on the mainland because there were mos- no mosquitoes on the island. And, uh, and he said he found himself out of his body. And it was like he said being in the ocean and he swam and he popped out the top and he was Jesus on the shore and Jesus beckoned him. And he spent, he spent the whole day with Jesus. And he said at the end of the day, the Lord brought him back and said, you've got to go back. And he dived in and swam down. And when he woke up, he was in his body. But he said he was so healthy, so fit, so well. Uh, now, he was telling me this alone. It was late one night under the, the light of a storm lantern. In a gravelly voice, he says, oh, I tell you my secret. And he told me this story of how that from that day he had never slept again, never had a week of sleep in life, didn't need one. He, he spent every night from when his wife went to bed, when he'd go to bed with her, she'd fall asleep, he'd get up. And then he spent the entire night reading the Bible. He had never been to school. He could not, he was illiterate, he could not speak English but he spent all night reading a King James version of the Bible. So guess what happened? 
He became very adept with communication, with understanding, and so full of authority, so full of power. And whenever you hear him preach, he'd be preaching in his village dialect, but constantly is peppered with King James quotes. <laughs> and, and even when he came to visit us here, now he's light under the door beyond all night, and you hear him. I, I remember because I was sleeping in the same building where he had his church office, and if you woke in the middle of the night, you'd hear him plodding away, just one word at a time, reading King James. Now, what, the reason I've told you that story is for this. There is no end to the variety of giftedness and power and freedom that is actually available in Christ. When you think of an unusual gift like that, you think there is no end of things that God can do or could do for you. Our problem is we don't seek them. We don't ask. Because Jesus said, ask, it'll be given. He says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So anyway, my counsel is, don't just stick with the process. Stir yourself up to somehow say, I must have more, I must take hold. There's, anyway, I just feel this weekend there's something in this. Aside from whatever else we're going to touch on and deal with, if we achieve nothing else, just to have some times of prayer where we, bit by bit, kept bringing our heart to the Lord, you know, begin with the cleansing of our own hearts, wanting more of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a few minutes of prayer now in closing, because I haven't, I haven't got that far here. Uh, probably haven't got to the one, the real point I wanted to make tonight, which is that you cannot. You cannot effectively have power in the ministry without a particular endowment of the Holy Spirit. You need the endowment of the Spirit. And the example I was going to give you, I'll give it to you in close, is this from Mark 6. It's speaking of Jesus. Um, he went away from there and came to his hometown. Now, the story is, He's been to the Jordan. He's been baptized by John and became filled with the Holy Spirit. He went into the desert for 40 days of prayer and fasting. And he came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. So he's even more endowed after that than he was before. And then he comes to Nazareth. Nazareth. The point of the story is this. He's, he's got, in coming back to Nazareth now... He's got something he did not have when he left. And it's apparent from this scripture. He came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? So it was a big surprise to them. What is this wisdom given to him? So he's, he's now got wisdom he didn't have before. It's come by the Spirit. How are such mighty works done by his hand? He had never done them before. Is not this the carpenter? They thought they knew him. In other words, the person they thought was an average Joe. I mean, a, no doubt a very nice one. You know, good character, clean living, more prayerful than anyone else in the village maybe, you know. Um, looks after his mother. Jesus lived a quiet life and just did a good job with the carpentry. All the while, listening to his father praying until, you know, until the day. But the point is, if Jesus needed the special endowment of the Holy Spirit, how much more you and I, but there's more to that than this. Look how Look how astounding the measure of that endowment can be when the wisdom all of a sudden is of another order. The power all of a sudden is of another order. So it's not, you know, the baptism of the Spirit shouldn't be just, oh, okay, you're blessed, and now you can talk in tongues. Something of another order. And I'll come back to that really on, on, on Sunday morning. I want to talk about... Um,
a greater baptism of the Spirit than the one we've known. And um, tomorrow morning we'll, we'll discuss, you know, the impartation of graces and I'll pray for pastors and, uh, and so on and so forth. Because I, d- I don't have time to explain more. Nor even read the bits from the book I was going to read. They will all have to wait. What we need to do is have a few minutes prayer before we go home and either have a cup of tea and hit the bed or burn the midnight oil, or no oil, actually. I like praying in the dark, um, actually. It's always disappointing if I get up early and it's nice and dark and then other people wake and they want the light. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm always happy when Hazel's fast asleep. <laughs> no, see that I'm going to get up earlier. <laughs> or go find another room. <laughs> yes. Anyway, dear friends, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer now. I'll get the band to come. We'll get some help. And um, this is just the beginning of our prayers. But where I suggest is you take a few moments now in your own heart to express hunger for God. And the other thing that goes with that is the confession and repentance. In other words, the the willingness to recognize our own faults, our own sins, and and bring them before the Lord. Because all of history will tell you that this... um, the, the humbling of ourselves, the repentance, the renouncing of sin, the confession of our failures and our weaknesses is, is not... Um, it, it's, it's the beginning of what is new. It's not, it's not an end. It's the beginning. It, somehow all of that positions us for a great grace to come in. And so if I could just advise you in just in your hearts just now before we close tonight just bring your hearts to the Lord and let there be freedom of within yourself freedom of confession and of hunger to the Lord and in a moment I'll pray for everybody but I think we'll sing too we got the, just the chorus of that song or something and we just let's just sing these few words together and then So now is the the opportunity. Take these moments to bring your heart to Jesus. We used to sing an old song in the Salvation Army, I bring to thee my heart to fill. A lovely old song and expressing our need and just the, the emptying of the heart, confession, your, your need of grace, of more of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we, we all tonight bring our hearts. We thank you that you're a forgiving God. Thank you for cleansing that is in the blood of Christ. Thank you for when Jesus said that you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. Lord, we confess weakness, our weakness and our failure and the sins that so easily beset and the, the hardness of hearts and the taking of blessings for granted and so many things that are very possibly our sins. Tonight, Lord, we ask forgiveness. We ask the cleansing of your people. I pray for the pastors present tonight, every pastor. and I ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon them to lift each one of them, husbands and wives together and their, their people with them, but lift, lift up these ministers of grace, these shepherds of the sheep, these who've been entrusted with the word of your grace. Lord, would you, would you lift them up? Would you cleanse their hearts and fill them with the Holy Spirit? Would you grant them power? And I pray, O Lord, that in these days we would see afresh the moving of the Holy Spirit upon the lives of our people, upon our churches, upon the towns in which we live, the moving of the Spirit. 
Lord, that all things might be made new. I ask, Lord, you'd open our eyes to all that is in the baptism of the Spirit. And even open our eyes, Lord, to multiple, multiple baptisms of the Holy Spirit. Because you said, how much more? And I pray that like Jesus, power for mighty works and, and, and wisdom that's astounding would, would find itself established and at work in the lives of these pastors and indeed all your people. We come, O Lord, tonight with hungry hearts, knowing this is a, a very great need that the church would be empowered all over again. <coughs> and so in these days, Lord, these few days we spend together, I ask, I ask, O Lord, that you would bring us each, everyone here, bring us each face to face with the living God. Lord, would you, would you come and walk amongst us in these days? May we become so aware of your hand upon us and your word to our hearts. Lord, you have things to say to us in these days and we need to hear them with, with better ears. Would you grant grace tonight by which we hear and see and understand. And I ask, O Lord, that the, in the process of these few days, every last believer here would be so filled with the Holy Spirit all over again, your power again. We thank you, Lord. And so I pray that as people rest tonight, you would speak, whether they're awake or whether they're asleep, Lord, that they would each know the touch of your hand, your favour upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we, we bid you good night and um, we'll see you in the morning. Well, we can hang around and talk, but nine o'clock in the morning, we kick off right here. And uh, we take a look at the, you know, the impartation of apostolic gifts, shall we say.